Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning with us. Uh, thanks for being in the house this morning. Thanks for chiming in online. Uh, boy, on a weekly basis, we have uh, just as many people in the house as we do online chiming in. And so we're all one big happy family. So thanks for being here with us today. My name is Bill Berg. I'm the lead pastor here. So just excited that you're here this morning as we conclude a series that we've been in called Money Mandates Changes Possible. And for this series, our goal for each one of us, including myself, is to move our perspective, move our practice in a different way when it comes to our finances and our wealth, how we handle it, right? And so the desire here is to move it in a way when it comes to perspective and practice and make sure that it is based on God's word and how God wants us to live with our finance and our wealth. And so as we conclude this series today, I wanna talk to us about how is it we worship God with our wealth? Worshiping God with your wealth, right? And when we think of worship, we often categorize it as Sunday morning for an hour. So when we're done here, we're gonna say, well, I'm gonna come back next Sunday and worship God, right? You know, we don't say this, I'm going to go to work and worship God. I'm going to go to school tomorrow, Monday, if you're a student, and I'm going to worship God. I'm going to go to sports practice, and I'm going to worship God. Hey, I'm going shopping, but I'm going to worship God. I'm going hunting, but I'm going to go worship God, right? I'm going to go volunteer and worship God. You know, hey, I got a date tonight, and I am going to be worshiping God. We don't say that. We don't think that way because we categorize worship as this one hour. But yet the Apostle Paul challenges now our perspective on what worship is. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or you drink down to the basics or whatever you do, the list I just gave you, do all for the glory or the worship of God. Everything is, is to be for the worship of God. Whether we're heading to work or we're heading to school or we're shopping or out hunting or we're heading on a date, it is all to bring worship to him in how we live, right? How we behave. The word worship is a verb, it's an action. And the biblical picture is this, to lay one's self before God to lay one's self before God. So it's basically for us just to lay ourselves before God and say, hey, everything in my life is yours and you direct. So if you walk through the door here this morning at New Hope Community Church as a Christ follower and you're saying, hey, I'm following the Christ, that means he calls us to follow him in every area of our life, even down to our finance and our wealth. And so when it comes to that, here's what I want to challenge us with. What we believe will determine our behavior with it. What we believe will determine our behavior then with it, even when it comes to our finance and wealth. So what we believe about our finance and wealth will determine our behavior with it, right? 
And so we've been walking through this series and we've been looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, where the apostle Paul is teaching his young mentee, Timothy, about life stuff. And here's how you are to live as a Christ follower. And he's talking to him in chapter 6 about finances and wealth and how is it we are to handle it. And so in 1 Timothy 6.17, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, hey, this should be your perspective on finance and wealth. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So he starts with Timothy, he says, hey, this is to be your perspective as you follow the Christ. Is that, listen, whatever level of wealth you have, and, and we all have a certain level of wealth, but whatever level of wealth you have, don't be arrogant in your position of wealth. And also don't put your hope, your security, your trust, and your peace of mind in your wealth. Because it's uncertain but put it in God, your father. Why? Because he says he has richly provided it for you. He's given it to you. So ultimately he's the owner and he's provided it for you and you are to steward it wisely. And so ultimately put your trust and your hope, your security and your ultimate like peace of mind in God because he has provided you the level of wealth that you have. It's for your enjoyment, but also it's for your management and to be used the way God would want you to use it. And so he says, this is your perspective, but because this should be your perspective, it now will influence, secondly, your practice, your practice, how you live. So he says, command them with their wealth, their riches to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So he, he's saying, hey, whatever level of wealth you have, because many of us in the room will automatically say, well, I'm not wealthy, right? So whatever, he's saying, hey, whatever level of wealth you have, we are commanded to do good with it, to be rich in good deeds with it, to be generous with it and willing to share it. That is how we are to live. So when it comes to our practice of our money and our wealth, our behavior then communicates our belief. Our behavior communicates our belief. They often say that, boy, if you look at somebody's checking account or whatever, you know, it'll tell you a lot about what they value and how they live, right? And so this whole idea of our practice, right, communicates what we live. And so this morning, I want to challenge you in the room to live in a way with your finance and wealth, and in, in an odd way, but a clear way, I want you to live it as my wife Sherry and I decided to live it in our marriage. You know, I am your pastor, which translates to I am your shepherd, and in the Bible it says the sheep are supposed to follow the shepherd, right? Right? And so I'm challenging you to follow us in this area of how do we worship God with our wealth, okay? 
And so in your outline, there's five areas that we can worship God with our wealth. And the first one is this, set up a budget, set up a budget. Look at what your income is, look at what your outgo is and make sure that your income is taking care of your outgo and you're responsible in that way. But set up a budget. And if you don't know how to do a budget or finances or whatever, starting March 20th, we are gonna have a nine-week Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, right here on this campus. There'll be childcare in the morning and that, so you can come to a service and then go to the class. And that nine weeks, it's fabulous to give you an idea of the overall picture of how to handle your finances and your wealth. And so we encourage you to be part of that starting March 20th. But first of all, set up your budget. But in then that budget, make sure you have an area of some savings. Make sure you have an area within that budget of some investing as well. And set that up in your budget. But along with setting up your budget, also make sure that in that budget, you have a space for God giving. Meaning giving back to God what he's already given you. And so in the Bible, it talks about this this giving, this offering, or it talks about this tithe. And there's different approaches to this. You know, some people say, hey, well, we believe that we should stay with the Old Testament approach to giving, and that is the 10%, the tithe. But then others say, well, no, we should practice the New Testament way of giving. The Old Testament's done. The new way is the way to go where we are just supposed to be cheerful givers, We are supposed to plan out already what we are going to give and cheerfully do so and bring that offering, okay? Both ways are a fine approach. You decide. You decide. But I'll tell you, in our household, in our marriage, what we decided to do was called tiffering, what we call tiffering. I call tiffering. It's that, hey, we're going to do 10%. The reason we're going to do 10% is because I'm can be cheap. And I know that if I decide like, well, hey, what am I going to give back God this week? Or what am I going to do and that? And it's like, well, you know, I really want to buy that or this was really good or like, I can be real cheap. So I'm like the 10% just helps us automatically. That's become a lifestyle of just saying, we're going to give back 10%. That's how it is. But we're doing it as our offering and we're doing it in a cheerful way. I mean, we enjoy doing it. So in your budget, make sure you have your, your income, your expenses, your Saving, your investment, your God-giving. But then I challenge you above your God-giving, whether it's gonna be 10% or whether it's gonna be, hey, we're gonna give this offering, to go above that and now do our giving. So above our 10%, now we do our giving to where we support you know, missionaries and organizations or things we believe in or this kind of stuff, KTIS, whatever it might be, right? Above the, the you know, God-giving, okay? We move from there. But then from there, we love to live a life of generosity. You know, generosity is this word where it's like this outrageous stuff or this this unplanned stuff, right? And we love to live in this area of generosity. So we sort of, we live with this philosophy of, you know, any money that we have come in that's unexpected and that we look to give away to people in need or situations that come up regardless of what they are. So stimulus money comes in, it goes out, right? And we have these opportunities and it's fun and it's a gas. 
There was this great story on CARE 11 last night, don't know if you caught it, about a 12-year-old girl from Blaine, Vanessa, who had hydrocephalus. And it's a condition of the head where it enlarges in that. And last Monday, unexpectedly, she died. She died. And her and her mom used to go to the Target in Blaine like every week, multiple times, like this little girl and her disability and all that. She just loved going to Target, pushing the cart, waving to people, you know, buying a couple of things and that. Her mom said, you know, yeah, I mean, minimum twice a week, we'd be in Target. And then she'd say, well, you know, sometimes it was six times a week. You know, I mean, it was like, like what, I mean, what gave this girl life, right? And all that kind of stuff. And she passes away. And so the parents decide that, hey, you know what? Uh, we want to do something. And so they call Children's Hospital, where she had been getting all this care, and saying, hey, what could we do for the kids there? And that, and they say, well, we need these items and, and these, these things for kids and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. So they put on social media, hey, if you want to do something in, you know, Vanessa's name or whatever, come 8 o'clock Saturday morning, Target, and we're going to just give you a list of things that you can buy for Children's Hospital for these families that are in the Ronald McDonald House that are waiting and figuring things out, right? And hundreds of people came. Hundreds of people showed up and they're shopping and getting Barbie dolls and this and that or whatever is needed on the list. And before they released everybody to do that, the parents asked everybody to raise their hands and they prayed a blessing over this event. And I guarantee you, every one of the hundred people there did not have that in their budget. Every one of the hundreds of people there did not say, oh, I'm going to set apart our budget for Vanessa, you know, 12-year-old Blaine. No. I mean, that's, that's acts of this generosity that's just beyond what we plan for. And so my challenge to you is, man, make sure you set up this budget. Make sure you have your God giving. Move it to our giving, but always leave open that area of generosity. And I know we do that, right? But that's what God calls us towards. And so that's how we worship God with our wealth. And he brings it in and he takes it out, but then he brings it in. Secondly, on your list from the budget, make sure that you have insurance that is adequate. We worship God with our wealth, right? We are good stewards. We're responsible with it, right? Worship God with your wealth. So make sure that your home is insured right, your vehicles are insured right, life insurance. Make sure that things are cared for in the insurance area. All right? Third on the list is your will. Only 48% of Americans have a will. So that means only 48% of the people in this room have a will. So the other 52%, I strongly encourage you, get a will. You can go down, you can Google it, you can fill in a will online for free. You can have two people witness it, you sign it, and at least have that. And, and give it to people you know. So if something would happen, people know how things are supposed to be handled and divided. Otherwise, when you're gone, other people choose, and typically it's the state. And so please, do a will. If you don't have a budget, when you leave here, do a will before you do a budget, okay? <laughs> get her done, right? Just get her done. And if you are a young punk in the room and thinking, man, I'm young, got a lot of life ahead of me, you don't know, right? If you are responsible for anybody else in your life or if you own anything, get a will. Make sure you have it in place. If you're older in the room, 
I encourage you to revisit your will and look at what am I gonna do when it comes to legacy giving? Meaning, hey, I wanna take care of my kids, my grandkids and all that, but man, maybe I have an opportunity to tithe my last 10% or give my last offering in my will towards God's kingdom work. I encourage you to relook at your will and to do that. What am I gonna give beyond just my kids and grandkids, but like, hey, I can give towards God's kingdom work this one last shot, okay? So make sure you got a budget, you ensure your will. And then fourth, serve others with your stuff. Serve others with your stuff. Remember, God owns it all. And so if your neighbor needs something, serve them. Or if you have something that you think somebody else would enjoy, invite them to use it, right? And so here's some examples, and you can take advantage of this. We happen to live on the lake that this church is on. And we happen to have a couple boats. And that whenever we leave during the day or for the week or whatever, we call people and we say, hey, we're leaving. Come and use the boats. Keys are in them, whatever. House is open, use the bathroom, whatever you need, right? And people take us up on it. And they have a gas out on the, on the lake and all that stuff. Or, you know, we're gone for the weekend and we tell people, hey, come. And, and our neighbors are like, dude, there's weird people coming in and out of your house. And that, would you know that? I'm like, oh yeah, we called people. Told them, you know, that kind of thing and stuff, and that. But what brings Sherry and I great joy is, yeah, we, we love being on a lake and skiing and snow, you know, wakeboarding and all that stuff, but we love it just as much or more when other people love it and use it, right? And that. So four years ago, I purchased a 1967 Ford Mustang convertible, all right? Here's the story behind that deal. My wife Sherry and I, when we started dating, I had a 66 coupe, red, and it was my first vehicle, used it through college. But when I got to graduation, I had an outstanding bill for tuition. And they said, you can't graduate unless you pay it. And I'm like, I don't got the money. All I had was the 66 Mustang. And so I had to sell the Mustang to pay the tuition so I could graduate and get a job. But in my mind, I said, maybe someday it'll come back or I'll find one or whatever. You know, and here, you know, 30 years later or whatever, I look on Craigslist up in Pequot Lakes in this shed and I call this guy and I'm like, hey, this is all I got. And he's like, I got to get rid of it. I'll take it. If you can come tomorrow morning. I'm like, seriously? I mean, it was crazy still, right? We love driving the Mustang. We love going back roads, Taylor's Falls, get a burger, play a little putt -putt golf, right? The drive in, drive home and all that. But you know what we love just as much? When we tell other people, hey, you should come use the Mustang, date your wife. You know, you should go date your daughter. Hey, why don't you come over with your son, take off in it, and all that kind of, and then people do. And we're like, oh, that's awesome, fun, and glad you had a great time, whatever. Here's the map to the back roads, whatever it is. And so now you know that it's available, right? And it can be used. Because we love using it, but what we love just as much, or not more, is like when other people love using it. But so I'm challenging you, serve other people with your stuff, whatever it is. And then the fifth one, last one, always be ready to release it. You know, there's times in our life where God is going to ask us to release something, give it away, or he's gonna ask to release it and he's gonna just take it away. And so if we hold it like this and all that, and we recognize it's his, it's okay when it comes and when it goes. It's all right. And I'm telling you, this way of living is a fun way of living and a peaceful way of living. 
And this is where I got this idea of like, hey, I'm challenging you to live as Sharon and I live. We're not perfect. I'm not up here saying like, we got it all figured out. We're constantly adjusting, figuring out all that stuff. But in Philippians 4, 9, the Apostle Paul says this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. Man, when we live this way, Paul's saying, the peace of God will be with you. Why? Because your security is in him. Your hope's in him. Your joy is in him. It's not in your finance. It's not in your stuff. All that. It's not about trying to keep it shiny, shiny. William Barclay says in his commentary on this, the teaching of the Christian ethic is not that wealth is a sin, but that it is a very great responsibility. If a man's wealth ministers to nothing but his own pride and enriches no one but himself, it becomes his ruin because it impoverishes his soul. But if he uses it to bring help and comfort to others in becoming poorer, he really becomes richer. In time and in eternity, it is more blessed to give than receive. And so I challenge us to be generous when it comes to our finance and our wealth. And on the way out today, we'll have opportunity. We're going to do a special offering for the people of Ukraine. We're connected with a variety of churches over there that are trying to help people in this crisis time. I mean, there's no money left in the ATMs. Everyone's tried to get their money out, all this kind of stuff. And there's a shortage on all kinds of stuff. So we have an opportunity in our wealth, in our comfort, to bring basic food and water and care. And we'll be distributed through those churches. And so we're going to take that offering as we leave. But the Apostle Paul is challenging his mentee, training him and is saying, hey, this is what your perspective should be. This is how it will then challenge and move your behavior to be, right? This is how you are to live in your practice. And then he moves on and he says, you will then develop this new principle, of how you live, this new behavior and how you live. 1 Timothy 6, 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Did you get that last line? That they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And this is what Paul is trying to move young Timothy towards. He's like, hey, take hold of life that is truly life. And life that is truly life is when we start to live with this attitude that we're already living in heaven and we brought it to earth. You see, we have this Lord's Prayer where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we can start living like we live in heaven on earth when it comes to how we handle our finance and wealth. And so when somebody comes to you and saying, hey, could you pray for me, you know, for this, pray for me for that. And in your head, you're like, man, I could meet that prayer. Then meet the prayer. Don't pray about it. Go ahead and meet the prayer. So an example was a month ago, I got a text of an individual that needed a vehicle for a week because theirs was broken in the shop and they had to get to work. And I'm like, I don't have to pray about it. You can use ours, right? And so this whole idea of like living with this heaven perspective on earth. And that's where Paul is telling Timothy, man, that's truly life. That's truly living now. And so I just encourage us 
as Paul does to Timothy. He's saying, hey, this should be your perspective. God owns it all. He provides it for you. This should be your practice, young Timothy, in how you handle it. This should be your principle. Start living like you're living in heaven and live on earth with what God has provided you. I love what John Wesley says. He says, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can, right? I mean, that's amazing. And that's what God calls us to when it comes to worshiping him with our wealth. And when we have this perspective, we have this practice, we have this principle, lastly, it ends up being our position. This is how we live. And so Paul challenges Timothy in verses 20, 21. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Hey, what I just taught you in how to live, guard it. Make sure you live that way. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Turn away from what the world is telling you that it's all about you. You are the consumer. Buy it for you. Use it for you. It's all about you, right? Which some have professed and in so doing have departed from their faith. Man, be careful. Don't step out of this position that your perspective and your practice and your principles now have put you. You are in this position of this is how you are to live. And don't move off of it because of the world's chatter around you. Live in this way and watch God work in your life. Because worship is a verb and it's to lay oneself before God. And so that's why this morning as we close, we are going to partake of communion together. So if you have that, if you can grab that. Because God gives us this incredible picture of his wealth, right? He's sharing it with us. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for us, Jesus. And so when Jesus met with his disciples, his men, and he held up the bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you which is nailed to the cross, which is whipped. When you eat this, remember that my life was given in payment for your sin so that you could be forgiven. Eat of it. Then he took the cup and he said, men, your sins aren't forgiven unless there's bloodshed. You remember the old days where he had to sacrifice the lamb and the goat? I am the last lamb. And this is my blood. It's a picture of it. When you drink of this, remember, your sins are forgiven. You are made right with your heavenly father, period. Drink of it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your generosity to us. We have much. And in this, I pray that each one of us would worship you with our wealth, that we would walk in such a way that is different than the world, than our neighborhood, and that we would walk in a way that you have called us to because we recognize you own it all. 
and it's a fun way to live. And so bless each one here today in their finance and in their wealth. In your holy name, amen.